The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, and the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing fall away. And as for those what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with repentance. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Morning, everyone, and welcome. It's great to have you. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you through your Son, for we pray in his name. Amen. As you know, at this point, we're in the midst of a capital campaign right now, and so thank you to everyone who has already pledged. We truly, truly appreciate that, and I'd like to invite those of you members who have not yet pledged to do so, and to do so, as I've said in this video I sent out this last week, at any amount. more or less. The amount does not matter nearly as much as just us as a church participating together. And so thank you for considering and praying about that. Also, this is connected to the sermon series that we're moving through. We're looking at various parables from Luke's gospel, seeking to rearticulate the vision and the identity of our church. And last week I preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I told you that Jesus in that story puts the lawyer on the road this biblical scholar. He puts him there on the road, beating, bleeding, and dying. And he puts a hated Samaritan in the saddle, in this position to help and to help someone who hates him and who would expect nothing but for him to pass him by. And the question that that raises is, if that was you, would you want grace? That's the point of the parable. Jesus is asking them and asking us, if this was you, tossed aside, lying beaten and dying on the side of the road. And the only hope that you had is an act of absolutely free grace from someone who you hate and who deserves to do nothing for you, but to pass you by. Would you want grace? Because we're still all on the road when it comes to God. And we've got to see ourselves as such. We've got to see ourselves as that lawyer in the road. If we're going to ever love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves, especially if all people are our neighbor. 
And after I preached that sermon last week, one of you came up to me and told me a story about seeing a homeless man or someone who looked homeless lying injured or dead or asleep or passed out in a yard just a few houses down from your house. And this person, she wanted to pass by on the other side, just like the priest and the Levite in the story. But she got close enough to take a distant look at them. And when she did, she realized she knew him. And so she had to call. She felt compelled to call for help. She couldn't not call because she realized that this man was someone that attended her AA meeting. And so she called because she could so easily see herself in him, beaten by his addictions, beaten by the world lying there because she shares his addictions. And so do you want grace today? It's always the question because you're still on the road. Always. We all are. Always. But here's a new question that our next parable, the parable of the sower that Josh just read for you asked, and that is, why do we stop wanting grace? And what can we do about it? So two points this morning, our obstacles and what overcomes. First of all, our obstacles. This is the first full-blown parable that's told in the gospel of Luke. In fact, it's the first full-blown parable also told in Matthew and Mark. John doesn't tell parables He does signs or Jesus does signs there. And this parable is not only that, but it's also the only one that Jesus himself interprets. Did you notice that? There's an interpretation here that Jesus gives. And so it's a massively important passage because it shows us how we're to read all other parables. In fact, in many ways, how to read the scriptures as a whole. And God here is portrayed as one who desires people to hear him. It's a burning desire for God here. He's Compared to a farmer, he's called a sower here. Sowing is just one of the tasks that farmers perform, but it's a task that's so primary here that it describes God in definitive fashion. In a sense, this is who he is. Verse five literally says, this is the sower who went out to sow. And I know our passage reads a sower, but I think the definite article here is more likely because as I'll say here in a few moments, many things, many people, all sorts of things in this world seek to sow their word themselves into our souls, and they can. But they can only do so because God has designed our souls that way so that he might sow himself into us. He is the foremost and the original sower, the sower who sows. That is God as revealed in Jesus. He desperately longs for people, for you to hear him. It's the last, this, this last word here in verse eight, it says, hear. It's a command. Let, let him, let her hear me. In fact, he says that Jesus cries this out. The same word is used by Luke when Jesus cries out from the cross. So desperately does he want us to hear him. But as we all know, it's very difficult in this world to hear from God, to hear Jesus. And in this parable, there are four soils. Three have significant obstacles to hearing Jesus's word. So wonder with me this morning, which soil you are. First, it's in verses five and 12. And in verse five, Jesus calls this soil a path. So its main task is not receiving seed so much as receiving feet. And it represents a person or people whose lives are oriented to all the activity around them in the world. The ears of this person's soul are attuned to what one commentator called current impressions. Impressions like feet in the mud, walking through it. So the words and the actions of others around them or the events of, of lives around them or the, the big events of life in the world or just the small events of life, that is what is impressed upon them. It could be the big events of all the broadcast news that continually comes at us. It could also just be the little news of other people's lives that we attune ourselves to so easily, their opinions, 
their experiences, their joys, their rejections of us, their pictures, their parties. The saying that reminds me of what I said two weeks ago about the Wall Street Journal's reporting on Instagram and TikTok. Do you remember that if you were here? I told you that one third of teenage girls as reported by the Wall Street Journal say that when they feel bad about their bodies and they look at Instagram, they feel worse, but they, they can't stop looking. They can't bring themselves to stop looking. The Wall Street Journal also created a number of automated accounts, fake accounts, to try and understand what content TikTok pushes towards young users. Here's just a few lines of that article. It says, an analysis of the videos served to our accounts registered as users ages 13 to 15 found that through its powerful algorithms, TikTok quickly drives minors into endless spools of content about sex and drugs. TikTok served one account registered as a 13-year-old at least 559 videos about drug use, references to cocaine and meth addiction, and promotional videos for online sales of drug products and paraphernalia. TikTok also showed the journal's teenage users more than 100 videos from accounts recommending paid pornography sites and sex shops. Still others encouraged eating disorders and glorified alcohol, including depictions of drinking and driving. You should read these articles. And I know this is an extreme example, but it still illustrates what it's like to be trampled soil. And for all of us, not just for our children, for us as well. This first soil is a soul that is trampled by the continual traffic of the world's words. And so is it you? And maybe it's not Instagram or TikTok, but maybe it's everything that's happening right now politically and culturally, economically. You just can't stop hearing it. You hear it, you dwell upon it, you focus upon it, you, you take it in, you dwell upon it, you talk about it incessantly with others. All the big news. And just think about all the big news that's come at us continually over the last two years. The seemingly never-ending news about this ongoing pandemic or the end of the Trump administration, all the chaos that it brought or the beginning of the Biden administration, all the chaos that that's brought or the racial tensions in our country, or the border crisis, or more recently, the conflict over the Texas heartbeat law. All of this news always coming at us. And it's, it's not just exhausting, it can be hardening. And that is this soil. It's like a path hardened by the words of the world so that when God's word comes, the seed of God's words lands out, it, it can't penetrate. So again, is this you? Are you this soil? You've heard about Jesus, but now you're too hardened. You're too suspicious. You're too cynical to ever entertain anything from him, to hear from him or about him. That's the first one. The second here, it's called rocky ground in verse six, and then Jesus interprets it in verse 13. In Palestine, you need to know both then and now, a lot of soil lays thinly over hard limestone. And there's also this rain-like dew that continually comes there. And so this dew makes this thin Palestinian topsoil very, very nutrient-rich. So seeds fall into it and plants quickly spring to life. But then the limestone is so near that the plant's roots can't get very deep. And then the hot Mediterranean sun comes out and it cooks the plants and they wither away immediately. That's the word that's used here in verse five. And Jesus is comparing these to professing Christians, to people who believe in him and follow after him for a little while. And they do so, notice verse 13, one word, with joy. They do so with joy, but ultimately they're defined by what they don't have and what do they not have. Verse six says they have no moisture. 
And verse 13 says they have no root. So when this initial joy in following Christ is met with the cost of being a Christian, what he says is in verse 13, testing, when that happens, their faith dies. They wither away as quickly as that joy erupted. And I need to say this could be some of you sitting here this morning. Could be. You're in the initial joy stage. You've not yet been tested in your faith. And like the scorching sun, you could be a plant that withers. Time will tell. Time will tell. In fact, that's the key to understanding this soil. You see these words, for a while, in verse 13? You see those words? When Martin Luther translated those words into German, he used one word, Vetterwindich. You don't have to be German. You don't have to speak German. You have to be named Frickenschmidt to understand these words. It helps a little bit. But you just need to listen. Vetter is the German word for weather. And wind is the word for change. We get our word wind from it. So these are weather-changing people. They're people that twist like weather vanes on the top of a roof or the top of a barn. And, and a new wind blows and they blow as well. They're capricious and unstable and impressionable. They're twisting, blowing from one thing to the next, one love or one lover to the next, one friendship to the next, one hobby, one passion, something that they're really, really into for a little while. And then they blow on to something else or one faith or one philosophy to the next, one opinion writer, one columnist, one political leader, then to the next. They're just and, and Jesus's word is just one wind, just one that just blows them for a while. So are you this soul? You identify as a Christian, but maybe you've known greater joy previously in your life, in your Christian life. Maybe there now is a new stronger wind that's blowing in your life and you're twisting right now, twisting, beginning to turn. Third soul. It's in verse seven and Jesus interprets it in verse 14. It's thorn-filled soil. And in verse 14 here, Jesus interprets this image of thorns as three things. Do you see them? The cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life in this world. And like the rocky soil, this is a type of person who hears and temporarily receives the word about Jesus. They, they are professing Christians. They believe and they follow him. And they actually do so longer than the rocky soil. But the seed of God's word in them is ultimately surrounded by so much else by so many other seeds that the seed, capital S, the seed of God's word eventually gets wrapped up and wrapped around tighter and tighter and tighter by all of these other seeds to the point where it eventually can't breathe. And this person listens to Jesus. They truly listen, but it's always a choked listening. Have you ever choked? You ever seen someone choking? When I was a boy, we were in Western Sizzling. I mean, where else would we be in Enid, Oklahoma in the 1980s? We were in Western Sizzling. We could have been at Pizza Hut, but this was kind of a fancy dinner. I think it was a birthday, so we were at Western Sizzling. And I remember my grandfather suddenly getting real quiet. And his eyes got big, and then his face turned red. And he just sat there. And we realized what was happening. My dad jumped up, pulled him out of his seat, wrapped his arms around him, and did something like the Heimlich, what he hoped was the Heimlich. And eventually he squeezed him, and, and this, you know, one of those thick, buttery, Western sizzling biscuits shot out across the, the restaurant there. Then he was fine. This also happened to me, by the way, six or so years ago. I was eating a piece of steak, not at Western sizzling, and a friend, I was about to put this piece of steak in my mouth, and one of my friends said something really funny, and so I breathed in to laugh, and that piece of steak went into my windpipe. It was terrifying. I remember thinking, if I die, who's going to preach on Sunday? It was bizarre. That's <laughs> what I thought. Then again, someone did the Heimlich, one of my friends, and I was fine. But 
this is what Jesus says, the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life do to his word in our hearts. They, they choke it. The word cares is usually translated anxiety in Luke's writing, both his gospel and the book of Acts. Like it is later in the story of Mary and Martha, where Jesus comes to Mary and says, Mary, you are anxious, same word. You're anxious about many things, but only one thing is necessary. It comes from this Greek word to divide, because that's what anxiety often is. It's often the emotional experience of having multiple, multiple ultimate loves or ultimate allegiances in our hearts at the same time, which isn't possible for very long because we get pulled and divided, pulled and divided, pulled and divided. That's why anxiety all too often feels like we're being torn apart because we are by these multiple things that we care too much about. And they're usually good things. They're usually good things, but we try to turn them into ultimate things. And when we do that, they crush us. They pull us apart. And riches and pleasures, we know what those are. Those need less explanation. But a difference between this soil, the thorny soil, the third soil, and the rocky soil before it is that in this soil, God's word never actually prevails. It's never actually primary because it's always just one word among many words. And that's why there's no mention of joy here. Did you notice that? No joy here for this person because there's no room in their hearts to be very joyful or too enthusiastic about any one thing because there's always so many multiple main things. And so this type of professing Christian doesn't fall away quickly and dramatically like the previous soil, like the weather change Christian. They fall away slowly over time compromised a little bit more and a little bit more by these other cares. I wonder if this is what has happened to many people during COVID. It's so long after a while, just compromise a little bit more. And so if their so-called Christian life is marked by anything, it's not joy. It's probably apathy or disinterest or a mechanical going through the motions. Here in worship, every so often, maybe even regularly, not because they really want to, but because they feel like they have to. And they live a, a genuinely and generally moral life, but not because it's all that compelling, not because it's beautiful, right, and good, but because they just feel like they have to. It's the right thing to do at this time. And if this is you, you're probably tired. You probably feel like there's no breath. There's certainly no breath when you read God's word. There's no breath in the midst of worship. There's no, there, it feels like there's no life in it. And that's because what's happening is that all the other words are squeezing out the word. And Jesus is just becoming increasingly more and more peripheral to the point where there's no, no impact, no impression that's made. So is this you? Are you this soil? Because these are the soils with obstacles in them that make us trampled and shallow and squeezed. But what can we do? What, what can overcome these obstacles? Point two. There's one word that I want to point you to, and it's the final word in our passage, the word patience. Do you see it there at the very end? This is a word that's usually translated, this word that's, that's there are other words that are translated patience more often. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, where it says love is patient, there's, that's a different word. This word doesn't really have a good word for us to translate it into English. It's this word hupomene. We haven't had a, a word for the day recently in worship, so we're going to have hupomene as our word. So on the count of three, we're going to say hupomene together. Ready? One, two, three. Hupomene. You hear the word hyper there? That prefix, it's where we get our word hyper from. Meno is usually translated to remain or to abide. So hyper remain. It could be translated clunky, but that's it. Hyper remaining. It's this exaggerated or extreme clinging to. 
And Luke only uses it one other time. He does so right before Judas is about to betray him. He's about to be betrayed and he says this. He tells all his disciples, you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, hupomeno, same word, by your hyper remaining, you will gain your lives. In other words, following me, believing in me, it's going to be costly and you will be hated, but not a hair of your head will ultimately perish. Now, how could Jesus say that? How can you say that to all his disciples with Judas right there? How in the world could he say that and make that promise that by your hyper remaining, you will endure and gain your life? He can say that because he knows God's word and he knows especially Isaiah 55 and what it says there, our Old Testament reading, that God's word does not return to him void without accomplishing the purposes for which it sent and succeeding in the thing for which he sent it. Jesus knows Isaiah 55. He knows that it's ultimately about him, that he is the word that's gone out, that he is the sower who went out from heaven to earth to sow the word of God into our hearts, him, his very self, that he is the seed being born in this world, in the flesh was like a seed being cast out, a seed ultimately being cast out into the ground, being buried in the earth, having died to forgive us of all of our sins, to pay for the penalty of them. Just like John 12 says that as a seed does not bear fruit, unless it goes into the ground, it dies. That's been done. And listen to me here. It's been done for you, for you. You have to read yourself into Isaiah 55. He has done everything necessary that you might bear fruit. You are the purpose for which the Father sent him. You, us, we. He came to forgive you, to release you from all the seeds, from everything else that they might do in your soul, to come to you personally, intimately, and to speak himself into your very life. His words of love, kindness, and grace to you. You're the purpose for which he came. He longs, you to be, longs for you to be his fruit. So why not allow him to make you fruitful? Why not allow him to give you a beautiful, good, and true life? The first step is just to make room. It's just to make room. This fourth soil, it's the most briefly described of all the soils. There's an elegant simplicity to it. It just says it's good. It's not beaten down or trampled. It's not thin or shallow. It's not crowded. There's just room there for the seed to sink in and to bear fruit. Room has been made, space has been created, time has been set aside for Jesus's word to sink in. So make room for God's word and then hyper remain. Hold it fast because listen, and here's where I close. The word that sinks deepest into your soul determines your life. That's this parable. Your ears are the soil of your soul. Listening is sowing. The word that sinks deepest into your soul determines your life. That means that everything you hear, every word, it's like a seed that seeks to sink itself deeply into you to root itself there and to bear its fruit in your life. So what word has sunk deepest into you? What word do you still cling to? It could be a parent's word you heard so long ago. One filled with disappointment, shame, could be an ex-spouse's word of rejection or betrayal or a friend's word, and that's the word that's sunk deepest, and you hold on to that. Could be a word from someone at work telling you that you're not good enough, you're not producing enough. 
or words about your physical body that you heard so long ago and you just can't, you can't let go of that? Could be a word demanding success that if you don't get these grades, you're not gonna get in this school. If you don't get into this school, you're not gonna have these networks. You don't have these networks, you're not gonna get this type of job. You don't have this type of job, you're not gonna have this level of success and, and comfort in this life. So what word has sunk deepest into you that you hold on to more than others? It can be Jesus's word. That can begin today. And here's two ways that it can begin. Two ways that you can hold fast, you can hyper remain in his word. And that's vows and practices. Very, very important here at All Saints. To understand All Saints, you've got to understand vows and practices. Because they're each like what Odysseus does in the Odyssey. They're acts of faith. You know the story of when Odysseus sails by the sirens? Do you know that story? A siren was a, in Greek mythology, was this dangerous creature that was half bird, half woman, beautiful woman, who would sing these alluring songs, who would attract sailors toward them, towards their islands and the rocky shores there to make them crass on the rocks. And Odysseus, when he goes through a particularly dangerous channel filled with all sorts of sirens, he has his sailors stuff their ears full of beeswax so that they can't hear the sirens. But he doesn't do that with himself. He has his sailors tie him to the mast of his ship. So he can still hear the siren's songs, but he won't be able to escape to them. And even if he screams out to his sailors to turn that way and to go after them, they can't hear him. And friends, that's more like us because we can't drown out the world's words, but we as Christians, we can make vows and we can take on practices which are meant to bind us to what we know to be true and right and good. We can live vow-governed lives that bind us to the Lord, that bind us to the Lord's people. Baptism vows, membership vows, marital vows, ordination vows for some of us. They each bind us to Christ and to his people so that we can't leave and that we can't quit when we momentarily want to. When the sirens call and the world and the flesh and the devil, they exert themselves upon us. We want to quit and we want to leave. We're bound fast to the mast of our faith. And, and spiritual formation practices are very similar. They do the same. We have 10 spiritual formation practices here at All Saints. Do you know them? Do you know the 10 of them? They begin with God's word, word and prayer. It's the first practice. The second is small groups. The other eight flow from them. They're meant to enable us to keep space cleared out for God's word to sink deeply into our hearts, for it to be the foremost word that gets sown and the one that, that sinks deepest into us. So friends, sow the seed of God's word into your hearts. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. That's true of everything. It can be true of Jesus's word as well for you. So sow God's word into your heart, read it, listen to it, and don't do it by yourself. Don't just do it alone, do it with others. Do it with others and you will bear fruit. You'll bear fruit. By hyper remain, you will bear fruit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would make us a fruitful people fruitful with your very life within us and producing things of your spirit in and through us. Father, we know that this is not possible in and of ourselves, but you have done everything necessary for it to be possible by your grace. So enable us to continue to want and to long for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.